0: I don't know if uh, you've been watching the news, this coronavirus has been making headlines all over. Some people blow it off and they say, well, more people die from the flu. But there were some disturbing things that came out in the last couple of days that I don't even know if you're aware of. The guys this morning were not aware of it. In China, in the past few days, They've been sending out police wearing masks and gloves and going and basically getting people they believe are infected with the coronavirus and they've been taking them away from their families, from their kids. Some places the kids are screaming. Parents or fathers are trying to intercede for their parent children to say, no, don't do that, but the police are taking them away to internment camps. I want you to imagine for a second that was going on here. I mean, all of a sudden you start coughing, you start having flu like symptoms, and the police come and they just haul you off. I mean, the thing is, we don't know about this virus. We don't know that much about it. I, I listened to a doctor the other day try to explain it. They're trying to, they don't even understand how it's transmitted. They, they think it might have been transmitted through pipes in Hong Kong to some people, through water pipes. I mean, when you stop to think about the, the the virus itself and how it can impact people, how it could potentially impact people, it could be very scary. But I want you to just think for a second. If I came in here today and I said, "Hey guys, listen," last week, you know, um, I don't know if you remember, but Jim was here, and some of you guys might have talked to Jim, shaking hands with him. But Jim had the coronavirus. And it's a two-week incubation period. And so you could be contaminated. But they're giving testing down at the hospital over at St. Vincent's. And so I would really highly encourage you right now to go down there and see if you're infected because it is deadly. How many of you guys would blow me off? I mean, you you trust me, I've been here, I've, I've I've not lied to you about other stuff, why wouldn't you trust me to do that? And so if you really believed you had the virus, or you had been exposed to it and it was deadly, you probably wouldn't be finishing your meal here, you wouldn't be staying here, you'd probably be headed down to St. Vincent's pretty quick. Paul Tripp, in his little devotional book, describes that... American Christians a lot of times suffer from what's called eternity amnesia. We don't think about eternity. We say we believe in it. We talk about believing in it, but the reality is that the way we live our lives dictates otherwise. Not like we we like walk around with amnesia about eternity because we let the pressing needs of our circumstances press in on us to make us forget about that. That wouldn't happen if we all believed we had been exposed to the coronavirus because that would be life-threatening for us. But we don't see eternal damnation for ourselves and for others is a real thing a lot of times. And that's what he says. He says we suffer from this eternal or eternity amnesia. We're amnesiacs. And so what the writer in Hebrews is doing is he's trying to remind people, not only the unbelievers that he's warning, but even the believers. Hey, this is important. What what I'm saying here, this is so important. I'm devoting a letter to the whole church over in this part of Rome, and I'm addressing these three groups of people. I'm addressing it to believers who are all in. I'm addressing it to people who profess, but who aren't all in, and even those trying to decide. But this is serious stuff. You need to understand this. And the the idea of Hebrews, guys, it can get so confusing. People go into this book and they say, well, you know, you can lose your salvation because this is saying that, you know, it's impossible for you to come back if you go away. And you can forget what the big point of the whole letter is. It's that we should all be all in. I mean, we we should be calling people to be all in. We should want to be all in. With Jesus, I mean. Not with a church. Not with a people group, but with Jesus, period. We're all in with Him. And and that's what he's trying to say in chapter 6 at the end here. And, And basically, he uses the word, an anchor for your soul. And let me just give you a a real quick reminder of what's been going on. He's given three warnings of the five in the whole book. The first one was in chapter 2. If you remember, he said, be careful, you're drifting away from the message. Don't drift, because you can drift away and you actually become hardened to the message. That's chapter 2. Chapter 3, he says, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart like they did in Israel. And he gives them, he takes them back to when Israel was in the wilderness and they kept getting the message, hey, follow God, have faith in God, follow God, have faith in God. And, and it says they hardened their heart. They wouldn't listen to God. They, they believed more with their eyes than with their ears and what God was telling them to do in their faith. They hardened their heart. And then the third warning we went into a couple of weeks ago and last week, it's like, don't waver. Don't go between the world and Jesus Yes, it's hard, but don't go back. Don't go back to Judaism because that was only a picture of what was to come. Don't think you're going to find your rest in Judaism. He said, wavering hinders spiritual understanding. Wavering delays spiritual service. It even stunts and possibly prevents spiritual growth or rebirth. And we saw last week that what it means when you're really all in it, there's always going to be maturity. Not every day consistently, but there's going to be a pattern of growth. You cannot have life without growth. If there's life, there's going to be growth. If you go and you see a tree that's been in your yard for five years and you never see anything green on it, what do you think? It's a dead tree. It's a dead tree. Nobody goes, well... It's alive because, you know, I I planted it, and I watered it at one time. No, if there's no green, there's no growth. And if there's no growth, there's no life. We also saw last week that those who reject Him ultimately prove they're apostates. And an apostate is somebody who gets the truth, but rejects the truth. And then we saw that His grace falls on good ground and bad ground. And only time's going to reveal the fruit. And then finally, we saw last week that even though he's giving a warning, he's saying, Listen, I'm bringing models into your life to show you what it looks like to be all in. Look at them, emulate them as they emulate Christ. And that's what we looked at. And so then he goes into the last part of chapter six, which is almost like, okay. He uses the word soul anchor. You know what an anchor does, right? Bennett, you go out in a boat. I know. What is an anchor? When you put that anchor down, it holds you. It holds you when the waves want to kind of make you go other places. That anchor holds you. So he uses that word here to say, I want to give you four soul anchors here in this text to have hope and be all in. In other words, these are four reasons you should want to be all in. And so if, if, if you look at this, you could look at this and go, okay, he's talking to me about eternal security. No, this letter was not about eternal security. It was about warning people who weren't all in and those around them, why they should be all in. And so he gives four soul anchors here because Hebrews, remember, was written to warn people. And so the first one he says is we can trust in God's character. That's the first anchor that we have with God. You can trust in him. If he says something, it's going to come to pass. There's no wavering with him. He doesn't lie. He's our source of truth. And we're going to look at that second. He says we can trust in God's plan. His purpose. If God has a purpose, which he does, and he's got a plan, which he does, we can trust that that's not going to be thwarted because he's God. He's over everything. He's sovereign. And I think sometimes we forget that. And so we're going to look at that in the text. The third thing he says that we can trust is we can trust in his commitment or his pledge, his promise, his oath. He uses the word promise and oath. They're different. It's really his commitment. When God puts his stamp on it and he says, I'm making an oath, you can rest assured that's settled. That's settled. There is no wavering with him in that way. And then the fourth soul anchor is we can trust in God's high priest. He says that right at the very end. He reminds us again that Jesus, Jesus is like the wedding ring to us. He's like the engagement ring that says, okay, this is the sealed deal. And not only that, he functions not only as the wedding ring, but he's actually the bridge between us and God to make sure that we always have access to God. And he makes it so clear in the text. So as we go through this, I'm going to read verses uh, 13 through 20. And as we look at this, I want you to, um, I want you to just ask yourself these questions, okay, as, you, as we're reading through this. What is my soul anchored in? Or who is my soul anchored in? Is it anchored in in my financial security that I think I have? Is it anchored in my health? Is it anchored in my family? Who or what am I anchored in? Because I think as you read this, you're going to really be challenged to say... Okay, God, I'm all in with you, and I only want to be anchored in you. And that's what he's saying here. So starting in verse 13, the writer says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So, when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement. He mentioned Melchizedek back in chapter 5 right before he warned them because he's going to talk to them because a stumbling block for Jews was that Jesus could be a high priest because he wasn't from the tribe of Levi because only uh, priests only came from the tribe of Levi. And so he's going in to talk to them about Melchizedek who preceded Levi. He actually preceded Jacob. And he's going to talk to him uh, or to the people there about that, and he he realizes they're not all in, so they're not even going to get this. So he warns them. And then he comes back to him at the end of chapter 6, and in chapter 7, he's going to go through and teach about Melchizedek as a high priest. and And he's going to relate it all to Jesus, because remember, the overarching theme of Hebrews is what? Christ is supreme. We should be all in with Him. And so... In this text now, he starts off by going back to Abraham. Now, why would he go to Abraham? Because Abraham, they would have known. They know the story. And here's what's so interesting about Abraham. Was Abraham righteous before or after he was circumcised? Yeah. Yeah. He was circumcised later. So, so wait a minute. He's about to blow up their system because in their system you had to be circumcised, remember? It was the acts of righteousness. And so what he's doing is he's taking them back to Abraham and what he starts off with, he says, when God made a promise... So who does it start with? It doesn't say when Abraham approached God. It says when God made a promise to Abraham... Since he had no one greater to whom to swear, he swore by himself. So wait a minute. When you or I take an oath, when we go to a courtroom and we raise our hand, who do we swear to? We're swearing before God. We're saying that what we're going to say is the truth before God. And why is that? Because God is the highest you could, you could yield to. But God is saying, there's no one greater than me. I, I, I grew up in Mississippi. And most of you guys in this room, if you're over 55, especially in small towns, when you told somebody something, especially in a small town, right, Bennett? Up in South Carolina, in a small town South Carolina, if you told somebody, hey, uh, you know what, I want to buy your land and uh, I'll give you... I'll give you $2,000 for it. Okay, let's do it. And they shook on it. That was it. There was no written contract. A person's word was the contract. Because they were people of integrity. And when God says something, we can bank on it. It's true. It says, He cannot lie. God cannot lie. And so God made this promise to Abraham. And he, He told him. He said, I'm going to bless you. He gives it right here. They quote directly from Genesis. Surely I will bless you and multiply you. God continually made this promise to Abraham. He made it to him in chapter 12. He made it to him in chapter 15. He made it to him in chapter 17 of Genesis, chapter 18 of Genesis, chapter 22 of Genesis. Why do you think God keeps having to remind Abraham about this promise? It was delayed. And yeah, because men are used to men breaking promises. <laughs> exactly. Because we don't think about God the way we should. Now, Abraham, did he ever show that he didn't think about God the way he should? Yes. You remember what happened with the, the king of Gerar? He lied. Abimelech? Why did he lie? Wait, what did God tell Abraham? I'm going to bless you. And through you, all the families of the world are going to be blessed. But listen, Sarah, when we go into this town, you're going to tell me you're my sister because if you don't, they're going to kill me. Now, who's he trusting there? Does he believe God's word? You see this pattern that starts with Abraham, the father of the faith, but it's not. God is so patient, He's patient. He's patient. And so we can trust in God's character. Listen, Deuteronomy 31.8. Think about this. Deuteronomy 31.8. It says, it is the Lord. And think about what has happened since this is said. The children of Israel delivered out of Egypt. They go into the wilderness. They've been provided for. And this is what God says. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. This is after he's already taken the children of Israel out of Egypt. And he's saying, the Lord is the one who does it, not you. Joshua 21, 45. At the end of Joshua's life, he's getting ready. And he's, he's, he, you know, he's talking about serving the Lord and continuing to serve the Lord. And he says this in Joshua 21, 45. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord has made has failed. Not one that's God saying through Joshua I'm going to keep my word you can trust me in Titus 1-2 when Paul's writing to Titus he says in hope of eternal life which God who never lies promised before the ages began he promised what? he had a plan And, and, and so In 2 Peter 3, 9, Peter addresses our struggle sometimes because he says the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but what? He is patient towards you. See, God has this unbelievable, gracious heart of patience towards his people. And he understands that we're human. But don't miss this first thing that he's saying here, that God swore by himself, by his character, and his character's good. You may not know what he's doing, but you can trust his character. Yeah, Dave. So we have said does not lie, but I think it's important that he can not lie. Yeah, he can't lie. It is impossible for God to lie. We, we, can't, we can't have an out there. I think it's important that we realize that there's no out. No, he he can't lie. It's impossible for him to lie because he's the source of all truth. Here's the thing: when the doctor says you got this many months to live, does he know that? No doctor knows that. When 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 the stock market, the prognosticators, you know what? The stock market's going to fall three thousand points next week. Who determines whether it falls or it doesn't? It all goes through his hand. He's the source of truth. Yet so many times we allow the world to be our source of truth. Whether it's coronavirus, whether it's a stock market, whether it's our own personal diagnosis from a doctor, whether it's our marriage relationship, whether it's We let the enemy speak through his surrogates and try to speak into our life. And instead of believing the God of the Bible who has proven himself, I want you to keep in mind what he said to Abraham. Listen, back in chapter 12, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That was the initial promise. You're in Ur of the Chaldees. He's a long way away. He didn't go, okay, I'm going to, you know what, I'm going to check this God fellow out. And I think I'm going to try him. And then God goes, okay, Abraham's seeking me, so I'm going to take Abraham and bless everybody. That's not the way it worked. God said, okay, Abraham, I want you to leave Ur of the Chaldees and I want you to go to Canaan. <clears throat> It wasn't because Abraham was righteous. It wasn't because Abraham did something good. It's because God just said, I'm going to use you. And I'm going to use you and I'm going to create a people. See, here's what happened back in the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, God had created man to fulfill his purpose, which was what? To glorify his name on earth. And man didn't do that. Why? Because the fruit was eaten we disobeyed, and all of a sudden, there became this big, <laughs> this, this big barrier between God's plan and man, mankind. And God says, you know, it's okay, i got a plan. I'm going to create a channel that's going to bust right through that barrier, and it's going to reveal who I am to the world and my purpose for the world, and I'm going to work through Abraham and the Jewish people. And what happened is the Jewish people, they made a mistake of thinking that when God chose them to be the channel, that it was about just to receive the blessing. And I believe with all my heart that in the West, we have done that with the church, where we believe that the gospel is all about us and our own personal salvation, not to be employed in God's service telling other people about him and doing his ministry works in the world. And I think that's why we have 90% of the people in churches have never told anybody about Jesus. And they don't think it's their responsibility. It's the pastor's responsibility. Or the people that are really, really, you know, those, there's people that are really gifted for that. Paul says, man, you know what? I, I'm a terrible speaker. But I don't want to be a good speaker because I don't depend on myself. I depend on God and the cross. I just want to preach the cross to people. That's that's what it's about. And, And so we can trust in God's character, he said. But he goes on in verse 14 when he says, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. Surely I will bless you and multiply you. Again, he's saying this from Genesis. But this time, you know when he says it? If you flip over to Genesis 22, look at verse 16. 22, 16. Well, let me go back to 15 and the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself, I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son. Whoa, wait a minute. What happened? Do you know what's happened between what the initial promise was in 12 and what I just read? You see, there was this period of time where God said, I'm going to bless you. And Moses is getting on in life. And I'm not Moses, Abraham, he's getting on in life. And he goes, Lord, I'm 70, 80. And look at Sarah, she's old and we ain't got no kids yet. And Sarah goes, maybe you ought to help God out, Abraham. Here, take Hagar, because that was very accepted in their culture to have a maidservant come in and sleep with the husband so the husband could produce a child that would end up being the person that would help take care of the property. And the family had nothing to do with the sexual stuff. It was all about family rights and preserving the person that would be able to heir that could take care of people. But boy, did it mess stuff up. You know why? Because when you go and you try to help God when God has not asked you to do that, it messes things up really, really bad. And we got the problem today with the Arabs and the Jews because of that. Because what happened was Ishmael. And Ishmael was not the child of promise. And so God says, no, that's not the way it's going to happen. And so Sarah's going to have a child in a year. When I come back, she's going to have a child. And sure enough, in her old age, she had a child named Isaac. And then Isaac had a child named Jacob. But when Isaac was a 13-year-old boy, now think about it, 13 years old. That's not some little toddler that you can fool and say, okay, we're just hiking up the mountain. This is a 13-year-old boy who knows what a sacrifice is. In fact, on the way up, he goes, hey, we got the wood, Dad. <laughs> but, but, but where's the animal? I'm going to talk to you about that in a minute, Isaac. And they get up on the mountain, and it says he bound him, and he raised his knife. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. If you've got children... Could you take a knife to your child? Could you if God asked you to? And you think about that for a second. There's people who do, who are asked to do a lot less than that with their children that they don't do. When God asked them to do it. Because I hear all the time, people make compromises. And here's the thing. God asked him to do this. But what happened? When he raised the knife up, the angel said, nope, stop. Okay. I just wanted to see. I didn't want to see for me, Abraham. I wanted to see for you because you lied. You didn't trust me enough with the promise to tell the truth in Gerar. You didn't trust me enough in the promise to wait until I gave you the child of promise. So I wanted you to see that you can trust me. And so a lot of times God will take us through tests, not so that he can see, but it's so we can see. And that's exactly what he did. And here's the thing. He's telling Abraham, you can trust in my plan. You can trust in my plan. Now, I'm going to bless the world through this child, Isaac. And and so think about all the things that happened with Isaac. Isaac had two sons, one Jacob, one Esau. And you know what God says in Romans through the Apostle Paul? He said, before they ever did anything... God chose which one was going to be the one that would be the channel of blessings. It wasn't Esau. It was Jacob. One of the most evil kings, but one of the most unbelievable architects in all of history came out of the other one. King Herod came from Esau. But it wasn't him. It was Jacob. Why? Because it was God's choice, not our choice. And so he said... You can trust in my plan. So what happened with Jacob? Jacob had 12 sons. Out of those 12 sons, one of them starts dreaming and starts thinking about what God's doing. God starts putting his plan on this child's heart. He doesn't know how to handle it. So he tells his brothers, one day you're going to bow down to me. They don't like that. So they sell him thinking they are doing what they want, but they're just doing what God wanted all, the time, all along. Because God was getting Joseph into Egypt to eventually save his people to fulfill the promise. Have you thought about that? See, and, and, and God even gives us in his words through Joseph to his brothers, what you meant from harm, God meant for good. So why is it when, when we have difficulties that come into our life, and we look at the people around us, we always look at them as the enemy instead of maybe God's using them in our life for a certain reason. You see, God's plan is unfolding, and he will take even our failures, even when we blow it, to reveal himself to us. And what happens? When you blow it, you come back to the cross. If you're his. You come back because you know you can never be separated from Him. So all you can do is come back with gratitude and say, God, thank you for the cross. It makes you more humble, more desired to be with Him. And listen, is there anything bad ever about being humble? Ever. So He takes even our failures. But don't miss what He did. He preserved His people through an act of unkindness and, and just flat out treachery by Joseph's brothers but he preserved the promise to Abraham he's still being the God who keeps his word because he cannot lie and do you know when you think about guys like Haman in the book of Esther who wanted to wipe out all the Jewish people and oh by the way there just happened to be a Jewess that King Ahasuerus married Or it's Artaxerxes, I think. I think it's Artaxerxes. King Artaxerxes married a Jewess. He just picked her randomly out of all the people. And oh, by the way, her uncle just happened to be at the city gate. And hear two eunuchs who were planning to overthrow the king and share that story. Oh, and by the way, when Haman's plan got hatched, the king just happened not to be able to sleep that night and to hear uh, hear from somebody reading the history of the people about Mordecai telling him and oh, how was this guy rewarded let's reward him and it thwarted Haman's evil plan to wipe out the Jewish people again keeping God's promise and oh by the way when Hitler started his plan there just happened to be this country called America that got involved with it that came over there and helped defeat Nazi Germany even though 6 million Jews died, it didn't exterminate all of them. Do you know how many Jews there are today? Now, these are Jews by blood. Over 17 million. So, do you think, and that's just today. That's not counting throughout the, the thousands of years since Abraham's uh, promise was made back in Genesis 12. So, do you think God kept his promise to Abraham. Has the world been blessed through Abraham? Because it doesn't just apply to his physical blood children, and it's also the spiritual children. In fact, Paul says, not all who were born of Abraham come from his loins. They're people who come from faith. And so you've got to lump in all the Christians. So I ask you this again. Has the world been blessed through Father Abraham? Think of every Christian school, bud. You've been around the world. You've seen Christian schools, Christian orphanages. All those places around the world that bless unbelievers, Gentiles, people that could care less about God. Pagan Russia, all the places we went over there, carrying a medical stuff. Stuff to help these kids. They've been blessed. Why? Because we can trust in God's plan. It was an unconditional plan. He didn't say anything to Abraham about you do this. He just said, I'm going to bless you, Abraham. And through you, all the world's going to be blessed. And you know, I think of Ephesians 1. If you go over to Ephesians 1, and and I don't know why we get so hung up about the whole predestination thing. It comforts me, to be honest with you. That means I can't screw it up for God. No matter how hard I try... I can't. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Wait a minute. Bud Toole was chosen before the foundation of the world? J. Rogers, before the beginning, before the foundation of the world? That's what it says. In love, he predestined us for adoptions as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, his plan. That's why we can trust in his plan. He goes on to talk about what that looks like, but he says in here two or three times, purpose and plan. You see, God's got an unfolding purpose and plan. It started when he decided to choose Abraham to be the channel, and today we are that channel if we're all in with Jesus. We become a blessing to those around us if we're all in with Jesus. Romans 8, when Paul's addressing some of this in Romans 8, we love this verse in Romans 8, and I know Brad, it's one of your favorite chapters. We know that for those who what? Who love God, all things work together for good for those who were called according to our purpose? His, purpose? His purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Wait a minute, he knew I was going to be sinful? He knew I was going to blow it real bad in my marriage. He knew I was going to blow it with my kids. He knew I was going to be prideful and arrogant. He knew all that. And yet, He still predestined me, and this is the important part, to be conformed to the image of Christ, His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. Those whom He predestined, He called. Those whom He called, He justified. Those whom He justified, He glorified. Bud, you've known me as long as anybody probably in this group. He took rough edges. He took a shattered marriage. He took a, a, a shattered man. And now he's got me taking Mike over to Israel and teaching Mike about what it means to be all in. And David Gray, me and David and Brad are sitting up on the radio talking to people all over the, the country about what it means to be all in. Because He conforms us to the image of His Son. But you have to be all in with Jesus at some point. It doesn't mean you're perfect. It means at some point you say, okay, Jesus, you got me. Now change me. And that's what he's saying. So here's the thing, and he goes on. You know, some people, and I know even in this group, wheels are turning some people. Wait a minute, that makes us robots. You know, that makes us robots. Paul addressed this in the next chapter. He says, he says, listen, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means, for he says to Moses, I'm going to have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. So it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this purpose I've raised you up, that I might show my power in you, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. And you say to me, then why do you still find fault? And you know what Paul says in the vernacular? Shut up. Who are you to talk to God that way? That's really what he's saying. He says, who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will that what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath that were prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory? In other words, God can do whatever he wants. The issue for us is not why does God do this and that. The question should be, why would he even love me enough to have me be here today to hear his word? Because it's part of his plan. He wants us to be conformed to his image. What this writer is saying to the people in uh, the Hebrews letter there is he's saying, listen, you guys ought to be all in. Because you can trust his character, you can trust his plan... And this is your purpose. He doesn't say this directly, but this is just through the totality of Scriptures. I just want to take you through six things that God's people ought to be doing. This is our purpose and part of His plan. First, we proclaim the one true God. That's why every weekend here we do, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. We are to proclaim to the world there's one God. There's not many gods, there's one God. Second, we preserve and declare God's Scriptures. Deuteronomy 6, where the Shema is found, also teaches, listen, teach this to your children. Wear it on your wrist. Put it between your eyes. Put it on your doorpost. Let everybody know God's Word. We have a responsibility to, to find faithful men and entrust His truth to faithful men who can teach other people. Three, he says, reveal Messiah through God's Word and in their lives. Roman 10 Romans 10 says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes from what? From the, Word the Word of God. And right before that says, how can people hear if there's nobody to preach? How can they go preach if nobody sends them? Can I tell you guys something? You're sent. Amen. You're sent. Bob. Remember Bob, the guy I shared about from, that went to Israel and became all in over in Israel? This guy, he invited to the Y, hadn't shown up, and he said, I called Bob today, I called Eddie today to see if he was coming. And, you know, he told me he was going to come, but his girlfriend is over, but I keep trying. Why does Bob care if Eddie comes to SWAT so bad? Why does he care? Because he wants him to hear God's truth taught. Bob still hasn't gone to an evangelism class yet, but he. He has this heart that's all in and says, okay, this is important. He's fulfilling his purpose. Fourth, we are to be God's kingdom priests. We put God on display. We know that from Exodus 9, 4. He says, you will be a kingdom of priests. You're going to show the world who I am. And when they ask you why, be able to give them an answer for the hope that's inside of you. 1 Peter 2, 9 says you're a kingdom of priests. Go put him on display. Five, we are to show God's faithfulness in our own life. 1 Peter 2.5 says we are living stones. They used to pile up stones as a place of remembrance wherever something significant would happen. So when people see our lives, they ought to be able to go, wow, there's something different about Gil. I mean, he ain't the person that he used to be. Amen. And the sixth one is we demonstrate God's grace in dealing with sin. We are the demonstration of that. We love Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace are you saved through faith. It is a gift of God, not of works. When people come up and say, you know what? I think it's so awesome what you do with your girls. You know, you're adopting these girls. You and your wife, y'all are angels. Y'all are really special people. I'm like, no, you don't know how bad we are. The only good you see in us is God. God changed us. I said, that's only God. That's not us. That's His mercy. And that's putting Him on display to where people go, wow. Maybe God could do that in my life. That's His plan. He wants to show that. And He gives them this oath. He goes down. Go back to Hebrews with me real quick. He goes down in verse 17 and 18. And He's talking about this promise He made. And and He says... He says over in Hebrews 6, verse 17, he says, So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. Now, there's a difference between a promise and an oath. A promise is you just say, I'm going to do this. I promise you I'll do this. But an oath was different. And back in that day, they did what was called a blood oath. They would take animals, and, and let's say I went to uh, Danny over here, and I said, Danny, listen, I want to give you about 40 sheep, you know, 50 goats, and I want this little parcel of land over here, so let's make an agreement. And Danny goes, okay, I would go kill these animals. I would fillet them just right down the middle, put one on one side of this little uh, crevice. I'd dig a little crevice in the ground put one on the other side, and the blood would float into the little, uh, you know, the little tunnel there. And then me and Danny, to seal our oath, we would walk through the blood and get the blood on our feet. And what we're saying in doing that is, if I break this oath, I do so on my life. If I break this oath with you, Danny, my life is forfeit. And he's saying the same thing. So God use that example with abraham back in genesis chapter 15 and the reason is because in 15:7, abraham or 15:8, abraham said god how am i going to know that this is going to come true he went and got the animals and he cut them open put them like he said because that was the way people did stuff back then they did this blood oath. but then it says god did something amazing He put him into a deep sleep. But before he went into deep sleep, and it's back in Genesis chapter uh, 15, go down to verse 12 and it says, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. You know what dreadful means? Now I want you to imagine for this is just, Put yourself in Abraham's position for a second. It's Abram at this point. He hadn't changed his name yet. But God says, okay, Derek, me and you, I'm going to make an oath with you. That I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to take care of you. And the only thing you have to do is obey me. But if you break it, you're going to walk this blood trail with me. So you've got all the animals out there and you're about to walk through this oath with the God who created the world, who can snap his fingers and wipe out the entire earth. Would you be a little concerned about breaking that oath with him? It'd be terrifying, wouldn't it? So God in his mercy puts a sleep on Abraham, lets him rest, and then God, he sees this smoking firepot and this lamp which was symbolic of God and the smoking fire pot and the lamp go down the blood trail. And what God says is he made an oath with himself on behalf of Abraham. God says, you know what? I'm going to make an oath with myself that this plan will be unfolded, that you will be blessed. All the people in the earth are going to be blessed through you. And if you blow it, then I, I will take the punishment of death. And did he do that? Did the people do that? Yes. God's people broke it. They didn't follow God. They rebelled against God. And what did he do? He sent his son, Jesus, and he took the punishment on the cross. He was the high priest and the sacrifice. And God fulfilled that unconditional covenant because Abraham did nothing except fall asleep while God made the covenant with himself. And so God didn't owe Abraham anything. He doesn't owe us anything. So the basis of our security in God is his sovereignty and his promise to us. And and, and listen, if you don't believe that, real quick in Galatians. I know we're almost out of time. Galatians 3. Paul deals with the Galatian church. Why? Because they're struggling with legalism. So over in Galatians chapter 3, he deals with this issue. And listen to what he says in 3.16. He says, "...now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, plural, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ." This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterwards, does not annul a covenant that was ratified by God. In other words, breaking His law can't keep you out of His plan. It drives you to His plan. Have you ever thought about that? That breaking God's law doesn't keep you out. If you're His, it drives you to it because you realize that He's the only place you're going to find hope and forgiveness. And He goes, in, in verse 26, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Verse 29, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring heirs according to the promise so everybody in here who's in Christ you're Abraham's offspring that you have been blessed to be a channel of blessing to other people and that blessing is who is Jesus and so what he's saying is we can trust in God's commitment he made an oath to himself and now he's saying in the last two verses he says we have this sure and steadfast anchor of a soul that enters into the inner place. When Jesus died on the cross, what happened to that curtain in the inner place? It was torn open. And so now it says He's right there in the inner space where Jesus went for us. On our behalf, He became a high priest. What's the role of a priest? To breathe the bridge between man and God. So He's constantly there bridging the gap on our behalf. Jesus in John 6 said this. In John 6, 37-40, He says... I don't lose anybody that the Father gives me. So how in the world you could think that God can bring you in and then lose you is beyond me when His word is clear that He can't lose you because your name was written from the foundation of the world. So He's saying He loses none. Let me read that, and then I'm going to close with prayer. John 6, because it's just... This is Jesus speaking. So you either rip this out of the Bible. If you if you if you think that you can be his child and be lost cuz this is what he says, 637. All that the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. What did what, what did he say? How many? All. All, all means all. And whoever comes to Me, I will never... You don't see that word too often, but it's there. For I have come down from heaven not to do My own will, but the will of Him who sent Me. And this is the will of Him who sent Me, that I should lose nothing of all that He's given Me. But I raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of My Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. He's sitting there and he, he brings those two things together. And he says, if you're mine, you're always mine. You. But you got to be his. At some point, you got to be all in with him. Not just here, but in the heart. He has to have you. And you go, well, yeah, but how do you know? Remember, what he, who's he talking to? He's talking to people that are wavering. And he's saying, this is why you're all in. You can trust in him. You can trust him because he doesn't lie. You can trust because his plan has been going unhindered. And you can trust in him because he's made an oath with himself. And you can trust in him because of Jesus, the high priest. And so be all in with him. What do you have to lose? Except eternity. 1 Timothy 1.1, Paul says, Jesus is our hope. Period. Jesus our hope. Amen. There is no hope apart from Jesus. It's not your works. It's not what you do. It's not how much you give to the church. It's not how many mission trips you go on. It's only Jesus. And that's what he's saying. You can trust in him. Now, I go back to that verse from 1 John 2.19 last week. But what about those who believe? What about those they, they said they love Jesus, but then they end up leaving him? They left because he never really were part of him. They were never real. They were the stony ground hearers. They were the the, the weedy soil. He used the analogy in last week's passage to say the rain's going to fall on good ground and bad ground. And what tells the difference? Fruit that comes over time. So, as we finish our time today, think about this. Am I drifting? Am I hardening my heart? Am I wavering? Or am I all in? Let's pray.